0: I know that this week has been a chaotic week. It's been a crazy week for so, so many reasons. I mean, it seemed like uh, every day something new came out. It was Monday, you know, about three o'clock, the bombing there in Boston. Then it was, you know, later on in Monday, Tuesday, there was some mail that was going through our mail system that had some poison in it. And then uh, really not a lot happened but enough had already happened for the week. Thursday, they, the explosion there, and then I flipped on uh, the Internet, and I saw that there was an earthquake yesterday in China. It seems like lots and lots of things have happened. And if you're like me, when you see one thing happen, you're kind of like, ugh. When you see a couple things happen, you're like, ugh. And then when you see that many things happen, you're like, I think I'm just going to go climb in my bed, put the pillow over and just hope this day, this day, this week is done quick. I just wanna get out of it. So I understand that. I understand why you, everyone's feeling like that. I mean, I was talking to Rex before and he said he was listening to the radio and a guy said, we just want this week to be done. Just be done. And I don't blame him. Don't blame him at all. Um, and the funny part about it is, and I shouldn't say funny, the cool part about it is that God knew everything that was gonna happen this week way before we did. And when Rex was uh, asking, you know, what I wanted to preach on a few weeks back, he said, you know, let's preach on courage. Let's preach on courage in the face of fear. And I, f- you know, this week as we've walked through it, I went, wow, what a timely message. What a good thing that God set this message up for today. So, um, I was going to start out, and I'm still going to start out this way. When I go to restaurants, when I go to Panera Bread, when I go any place, I love to go to the billboard. And I know that's odd, but uh, I love to go to the billboard and look and see what's happening in that area. You know, um, I like to, at Panera, I see, you know, there's always some church concerts that are gonna be happening. And then, you know, there always seems to be, you know, some other events happening. You can kind of get a good layout of that community. And with FCA, we're traveling so much. I just like to keep up with what's happening in that community. But always, there always seems to be, like on the front of the bulletin, one of those pull tags. I mean, sometimes it's like a babysitting, you know, somebody wants to babysit. Um, Sometimes, you know, it's somebody wants to mow lawns. Whatever it is, there's always some pull tags. And I'll admit this, when I was younger and less mature, if I didn't like the person, and I saw them, like, I'm going to get them, I'd pull them all off you know, and I'm like, "Ah, yeah, they're going to think they're going to get some calls, but they won't, but I mean, that's not mature at all, but um, now I just kind of look at it, and you can see if a couple of them are pulled, okay, you know what, somebody wants some babysitters, you know, in this town, okay, some housework, some lawn work needs to be done, and you can kind of get a good lay of the area, and when I saw that on the front of the bullets in that picture, I thought, you know what, this is one of those weeks where if we could have you know, wrote courage on every single one of those pull tags, we could have pulled that courage off every single day and said, you know what, I need some more courage this week. I need some more courage today. I need some more courage. And we could have kept just pulling the pull tags off and then we'd gotten to another week and we said, you know what, I made it through the week. So, what do you need courage for? I mean, we each have weeks that are busy. We each have weeks that bother us, but each and every one of us has A bad week. And each and every one of us needs that courage for that week. And I I was thinking through some things that have happened to me um, in my life. You know, sometimes I need courage for work. You know, I have a big, busy week in front of me, and I just say, you know what, God, you need to show up and you need to get me through this week because I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I have too many things to do and not enough hours. So I'm sure most of you have been in that. I mean, sometimes. You have you know, looming bills, and it's funny I say that with tax day being back not so long ago. You have looming bills over you, and you're like, oh, I need some courage. I need to know how to work through this. Sometimes, you know, you have older parents that you have to take care of. Sometimes, you have younger kids that you have to take care of. And, you know, I don't have as many kids as some of you, but I know with two, I need courage some days. I mean, some days I'm like, oh... Uh, how, how did this mess? And I mean, this week, it, for me, it was, boy, McKenna's awfully quiet. I wonder where she is, and parents already know where this one's going. Anytime the kid's quiet, you know, something's wrong. So I'm kind of looking around, and I found her, and I'm like, oh, how nice. You know, she's just sitting there in a the chair. And as I got closer, I noticed she had a marker. And it's all downhill from there. I know she had managed to color her arm, colored the chair as my wife got home that night she had not just colored the chair she'd colored the couch and another chair i mean it just kept going on and on thank god for washable markers yes straight from god right there but all of us have things that overwhelm us at times we need courage for and my hope is that today we'll get some courage out of this message because god doesn't want us to live in a state of fear He wants us to live as men, women, and families with faith in God and courage to overcome whatever hits us. That doesn't mean that sometimes we won't have days where we need to lean on the courage of another person, the faith of another person. That doesn't mean there will be days when we just want to go back to bed. That doesn't mean that at all. But that does mean we can face those fears. Now, if you don't have a Bible, um, you don't have your handy-dandy Bible, electronic device to pull up a Bible there's some Bibles back there if you need you can just raise your hand and somebody will be glad to grab you a Bible um, but we are going to jump out today in uh, the book of numbers the fourth book in the Old Testament we 're going to be and we 're going to be in numbers uh, thirteen so that 's where we're going to start and it is one of my favorite stories it 's been one of my favorite stories for a long long time and You'll find out real quick, you probably already know as you're flipping, you can see the heading, you'll find out that why it's one of my favorite stories and, you know, go a little bit further. But a little bit, of sto- a little bit of background as we get ready to jump into Numbers. Right now, Israel, they've gotten out of Egypt, they're marching through the desert. This is probably in the fall. So fall, it's, you know, getting kind of cold, it's getting harvest time, they, you know, three, four months beforehand had been at Mount Sinai. Moses had went up there for 40 days, been given the Ten Commandments. He's come down. He's broke them. He got mad. You know, some people died. You know, God really showed himself that, hey, I'm in control. I've done some miracles. You guys need to follow me. So Israel's kind of back in line. Then it goes through the summer. They're into the fall season. And now Israel is looking out at the promised land. And um, as I was looking at this, there's a couple of conflicting stories. Some people say that Moses decided to send some spies in, but um, God also had kind of okayed the plan. But it wasn't totally God's plan to send spies in. God just wanted them to go on in and take control of the land. I mean, in God's eyes, it was, you know what? I've been blessing you guys. I've been controlling this whole thing. Just go in, take the land, conquer it. But, you know, like always, we always have some people that, you know, think they know better than God. I mean, I've done that myself. I think, you know what, God, I got this great plan, this great vision. How about you just bless it? And um, so Moses says, we're going to send 12 spies, one spy for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So 12 people. And the 12 spies, they start from where Israel is, they walk into the promised land. And they're supposed to collect um, fruits, vegetables, grain. They're supposed to just look at how fortified the cities are. They're supposed to just generally take a good look. It's kind of like you're at the car lot and you're looking at the car that you think you want to buy. You're like, okay, is that the color I want? Is that the interior I want? Is, okay, it okay, has an option, okay. That's exactly what Israel is doing right now. They're taking a look okay, is, is this the land we really want? And in the back of my mind, he said, it doesn't matter. God already said it's your land. God didn't say, if you don't like this model, go to the next model. It, it, they didn't say that at all. It's, you know, this is your land, go in and conquer it. And, you know, they go in and they see all this great stuff. They're like, wow, this is a great, great place. We're liking it. And they said that this journey took 40 days, and I did a little bit of... Um, work and this journey was 500 miles so 500 miles in 40 days they're really moving they're really moving along it isn't like northwest ohio where it's dead flat and you can see iowa we're talking this is like hilly mountainous areas they're really going to town so they're really having to work so they get in there and they're there and they say wow this is awesome we're going to head on back and we're going to tell them so that's where we pick up the story of numbers um Numbers 13:25, And the, the thing about the Old Testament that I love and hate at the same time is it has a bunch of names which you're never going to see again. And it's not like, you know what? I think I'm going to start a city and I'm going to name it this. They're names that you're like, how do I wrap my head around this? So I always tell the senior and the junior high, when you get to those names and you don't know how to say it, say it really quick because nobody's ever going to stop and say, hey, you said that wrong. Because we're all kind of like, eh. I mean, for me, a lot of times I go to the computer and type it in, and it has a thing where it says it to you, and it has that, you know, that really weird computer voice that says it to you, and I'm like, okay. So Noah's back there smiling. He knows totally what I mean, because sometimes I think Noah's thinking, Dan doesn't know how to say that. <laughs> He's not saying that right. So, picking up in verse 25, it says, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. So, the twelve spies, they go out, they look at everything, and they return to Moses, who's the guy that's leading them, the guy that's going into the tabernacle, the guy that has to cover his face at times because he shines God's brilliance so much. And Aaron, his spokesman, and the community of Israel. So we're talking two and a half million people. Two and a half million people. Lots and lots of people there. And they're in the, the Kadesh. They actually, I mean, not that this you need to know this, but I think it's kind of interesting. Kadesh is one of those places that Israel ends up visiting several places. It's the same place that Israel goes again in 45 years when they get ready to go into the promised land. And they say it's a beautiful place. So... Uh, they reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. It says that they took an entire cluster of grapes and they put them on a, a stick and it took two men to carry back a cluster of grapes. Now, I've seen some grapes before. I've bought grapes at the store. It didn't take two people to carry them. It, like, I could have carried it with my finger. I mean, my, my little one a couple of weeks ago decided to... Uh, put some in our cart for us and she was able to carry them. So they're not that heavy in northwest Ohio. So I can't even imagine having grapes that would take two people to carry. That's how bountiful this place is. Um, picking up in verse 27. This was a report they reported to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore and it indeed is a bountiful country. A land flowing with milk and honey. There is a kind of fruit it possesses. This is the kind of fruit it possesses. But the people living there and their towns are lower, large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Achan. Now, for us we're going, giants, descendant of Achan, what this doesn't make sense. Well, if we were to back if we were to actually jump forward in um I first and second Samuel, we see the story of Goliath. And Goliath was a descendant of Achan. And they said Goliath was seven to nine feet tall. So very, very tall. And um, really, for us to see a seven-footer anymore, just go to a basketball game. Go to a college basketball game anymore, and you might see a seven-footer. So it's really not out of place. But we need to back up a little and remember that at this time, people in in general weren't as big as we are even today. I mean, look at our grandparents. I mean, I look at my grandpa, and he's all of 4'10". I mean, he's not very tall, and if you look at, um, you know, just older generation, we have really grown in height in the last hundred years. We've grown probably about a foot, and they say that Israel at this time was a lot shorter too. They were probably in the 4'10", you know, maybe 5'2 range. You know, they said that Saul was six foot tall, and he was really tall for Israel at this time. I mean, anymore, almost every guy is six foot tall. Sorry, Lupe. I see you shaking your head, sorry, we'll pray for that, we'll lay hands on you. (laughs) Um, So seven and nine footers, really tall. And I don't think that these were guys that, you know, coaches were saying, I hope they put some muscle on. I hope, I'm sure they were big, beefy guys. Now when I did wrestle in seventh grade, I would have to contend to wrestle some of these guys. And I was scared. I mean, I can understand some fear there. I mean, I can understand some fear why they're going, okay, these guys are big, they're tall, they're descendants of this guy. We need to be careful. And it also said in there they have large fortified cities. At this time, they didn't have, you know, cannons, guns, all this stuff to take down walls, you know. And we actually read in Joshua, their large fortified city defense was, let's march around the city a bunch and hope the walls fall. And the walls did fall because God was in control. But, so, we got some, we got some fear here. Just like we had some fear last week, or this week, so far. I mean, there were people in Boston that were saying, we're scared. I mean, they had the city on lockdown. They were saying, don't go outside. They're saying, you know, don't answer the door. I mean, they were scared. They were scared. I mean, I saw a YouTube video of um, somebody that was, I don't know why, Recording the fire in the fertilizer plant. And all of a sudden it exploded and the phone flew out of his hand and you heard him saying some words I won't say. And all of a sudden gunning it and taking off in his truck. He was scared, just like Israel was scared. Uh, We're going to pick it up in verse 28 again. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, descendants of Achan. The Amalekites live in the Navigae, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. So you have two and a half million people. You have Moses, Aaron, and everybody kind of sitting and talking to these 12 spies and saying, what's our next step? So you got all the people talking among themselves. They're scared. They're full of fear. And they're going, we don't want to go in there. We don't want to go in there. And this is where Caleb steps up. And he says, let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. So Caleb, right at this point, he is very sure of himself, very sure of what God has promised. And I ran across this quote, and I thought this was 100% right. It says, Caleb was not so much a man of great faith, as a man of faith in a great God. Let me read that one more time. Caleb was not so much a man of great faith as a man of faith in a great God. He knew that God had given them that land and God was going to help them conquer that. But if you were to do a word study on the name Caleb, you would find out that the name Caleb means dog. Dog. So. If you have a dog, and dogs at this point weren't loved like ours are now, it's not like we're like, oh, okay, dog, you can lick my face, which is gross. Um, Sorry, dog lovers. Or you can sleep in my bed with me. Or you know what, I'm going to buy you a day at doggy spa land. I mean, all all these crazy things that we do for our dogs now. Dogs were not well liked at this time. It was like, get that dog away from me now or I'm going to kill it. I mean, it wasn't a name that you're like, oh, I think I'm going to name my son dog because I love my dog and I love my son. No, it was not a good thing. So you have Caleb, which means dog, telling everybody, hey, let's go conquer the land. My guess is he probably wasn't very popular beforehand, and now he's not popular at all. He's not popular at all. We're going to keep reading. Uh, But we certainly can conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. Um, And it says, if we were to keep reading, that ten of the other people disagreed. There's a guy by the name of Joshua, who we actually have a book written, the sixth book of the Bible, written about his conquest, that he said, you know, we can conquer it too. He was right there with Caleb. So you have two against two and a half plus ten million people. Two people against all of it. Uh, but we can go up against them. We can't go up against them, it says in verse 31. They're stronger than we are, so we spread this bad report about the land among Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who lives there. All the people we saw are huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Achan. Next, uh, next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what we thought too. So they said, you know what, we're just going to make this land sound horrible. And that's kind of what happens anytime there ever is a disaster in the United States. It seems like the first five to two or three days, all these reports start coming out in the news. And if we were to take every one of those reports that came out in the news and compile them, we'd just have a mishmash of bad information. And they said, you know, what? we're just going to give a lot of bad information about this, and nobody's going to want to go there. Nobody's going to want to go there but I think we can learn three things uh, from Caleb and and really what he says in verse 30. The three things we can learn from Caleb are he had God's permission, he had God's promise, and he had God's power. I love peas, So permission, power, and promise. I'd love to have you guys say them. So I'm going to break down verse 30 and the first one was permission. So you guys can go ahead and say it excellent. And he had permission because uh, it says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people before Moses. So he had permission to quiet the people. He had God's permission to talk. He had permission. And what does this mean? When we live in courage, when we have courage, when we face the fear that we have, we have to have permission to face that fear. I mean, in our lives, we control, you know, what happens to us. We have permission to take control of our life. We have commission permission to, you know, ultimately conquer what's happened in our lives. So you can never sit there and say, you know what, this just happened to me. I don't know how that happened. I mean, I, I love it when somebody says, you know what, I was driving along and the cop pulled me over. I don't know why I was only speeding a little. You gave the cop permission to pull you over by speeding, by doing something wrong. You gave him permission. So that's the first one. And second one was promise. Promise? Promise. Okay, we're getting better. We're getting better. Um, And it says, let's go at once to take the land. Because he had God's promise. God had promised them, clear back when Abraham was alive, clear back in Genesis, that this land you will have, you will be numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the beach, you'll have this land. So they, I mean... It's one of those things that my guess is Israel had been holding on to this promise. Israel had been saying for a long time that this is our land. This is what we want. This is our promise. We're going to hold on to it. It's kind of like, and and I always think of this, whenever I pay my house payment, I have a promise that on this month and this date, my house payment will be gone. I'll have paid my house payment. It'll be done. So I have a promise from them. I have a promise it's something that I hold on to we all have promises that we hold on to you know maybe our mom and our dad promised us something and we hold on to that promise maybe someone our boss you know said hey someday I'm going to retire you're going to take over the business you're going to run the business that's a promise we all have promises that we hold on to each and every day so first he had God's permission second he had God's promise and the third thing that he had was God's power and so many times we overemphasize the first two and under-emphasize, I'll get it right, under-emphasize the third one. God's power was probably the biggest one he had. God's power there, you know, is shown throughout. The, the miracles that happened in Egypt, they're thrown, shown throughout walking through the Red Sea, they're shown again at Mount Sinai, they're continually being shown. I mean, they're shown every day. Israel is waking up and having manna. God's power is being shown everywhere around them. And God's power is shown to us too today. Each and every one of us seeks God's power each and every day. I mean, it is something as easy as the sun rising. I love, 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 love being out in the country where you can see the sunrise. That is one of my favorite things when I have to travel in the morning, just watching the sunrise. And how beautiful the sky is. That's God's power right there. You know, anytime you, you, know, you see little kids around, that's God's power. You know, they're so, so precious, so beautiful. That's God's power. We see God's power all around us each and every day. But the thing is, over time, just like Israel, we forget. We forget about the beauty of creation. And it's, been, it's easy to forget about the beauty of creation this year especially because it's been cold. I mean, it's just been crummy. It hasn't been like last year, and it's been colder. And, I mean, a lot of us are just saying, just get it done. We want it to be warm. We want it to end. We want to go outside. We want to do stuff. I mean, I made the mistake of putting up our playset set in March on that first 60-degree day. So every morning, my McKenna gets up, runs to our window, sees the playset, set, and goes, I want to go outside. And I go, no, it's 20 degrees. Go, go get dressed. It's cold. I don't want you to freeze and have your hands fall off. But that's God's power. God's power. So Caleb had God's permission, God's promise, and God's power when he said those things. If we were to uh, flip in our Bibles uh, to Joshua, that's where we're going to go next, to see the end of this story. Ultimately what happens is, and we're in Joshua 14, ultimately what happens is, Israel, they cry, they moan, they make a lot of noise. They say, we don't want to go, you can't make us. You know, they plant their feet firmly and they say, we're not going there. And God gets mad. Moses and Aaron intercede on their part of Israel and says, please don't destroy the people. Some people are destroyed ultimately because they were probably the leaders of the, you know, we don't want to go, we're not going to move, you can't make us. Um... And ultimately, they have to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. So you've been traveling now for roughly about a year. You get to the place where you can see this great promised land. You've seen the fruits. You've seen everything. You disobey God, and then they're going to have to go walk around. So you have Israel wandering around for 40 years in a constant state of fear. You know what, hey, what happens if we get there this next time and we don't make it? You know, what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? They're wandering around in fear. And it's, it's downright kind of heartbreaking. I mean, think about it. So many times in our life, we let fear grip us, and we wander around in fear for weeks and months. I mean, I think that we, the last time we saw fear this great was 9-11, I mean, everybody was in fear. This could happen again. You know, is this going to happen again? I mean, the country went on lockdown. I mean, anybody that's been to the airport since then knows that it's really hard to get in and out of the country. It's a pain. I mean, but for good sake. I mean, anybody that has ever, you know, tried to go across the border into Canada anymore, it used to be you drove up, you waved, and you drove through. Now they're getting you out of your car, your passport, you know, You're thinking, I just hope I make it through. So we live, or our country has lived in a state of fear. And Israel's living in a state of fear right now too. The thing is, God doesn't want us to live in that state of fear. God wants us to take control of our life, have courage, and overcome that fear. That doesn't say that we throw caution to the wind and we don't, you know, worry about caution. It just says, we decide, you know what, I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to let things dictate to me how I'm going to live. I'm going to live in courage. I'm going to live like Caleb did. Ultimately, he had God's permission, he had God's promise, and he had God's power, and he said, you know, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to continue to use that. So we're picking up in Joshua 14, 6 through 12. Um, It says in verse 6, A delegation from the tribe of Judah, and this is after they had been in the promised land for a while. They'd been marching around. They'd conquered. They were just going to town, and not right now. In this, uh, this, the tribes are getting together, and they're basically saying, "This is your land. This is your land. This is your land." The thing is, only two people had made it to the Promised Land so far: Caleb and Joshua. Joshua is the guy leading them. Probably is much younger. Uh, Caleb, at this time, they said he was forty when he was a spy. And it was 45 years later, so he's 85 years old. I don't want to pick on anybody, but do we have anybody 85 in here? I don't think we do. I don't think we do. I, I, you know, when I think of Caleb, um, I think of my, my grandpa again. He's four foot 4'10". Uh, I wish he had his mind still with him. Um, it's been debatable, you know, if he can remember all that kind of stuff. But he's just a feisty guy. And when I think of Caleb, I think of a feisty guy. I think of a guy that, you know, probably had a cane. You know, probably everybody's like, oh, you know, okay, there's our grandpa. It's telling us about our promise again, reminding us of our promise again. So, uh, and he's from the tribe of Judah. We know that the tribe of Judah ultimately is the tribe of David and then ultimately becomes the tribe of um, Jesus that Jesus is born from. And it's led by Caleb, Caleb. Um, was a Kenzanite came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses. So he's like, hey, remember? I, I haven't forgotten. It's maybe been 45 years. Maybe I forget a lot of other stuff. Maybe I forget to take my medicine, but I remember a promise. The man of God about hope, about you and me, when you were at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Baria, to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me were frightened. The people, frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day, Moses solemnly promised the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will become a grant of, will become your grant of land that your descendants forever, because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord your God. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised me all these 45 years since since Moses made this promise. So 45 years he's been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And, you know, this, on a side note, so many times in our culture, we have trouble keeping a promise maybe next week or two or three weeks later. 45 years later, he's calling up his promise. That's like somebody calling you up right before your class reunion and saying hey remember I lent you some lunch money I still remember the lunch money I lent you can you pay me back that 35 cents I mean 45 years later he's calling his promise in picking it back up um, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness today I'm 85 years old I am as strong now as I went when Moses sent me on that journey feisty as can be still and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country. He doesn't say, can I please? He's like, give it to me. You promised. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised. You will remember that as a scout, we found the descendants of Achan living there in in the great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. He's going back to God's promise again. He's saying, you know what? If God's with me, God has given me the this power. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to take care of it. There is zero fear in his voice. He's 100% courage. He's 100% I'm going to go in there and take that. And going back to this week, what things struck fear in you? I know that um, when I got home right away, uh, my wife asked, so what's going to change with the marathons you run? And I said, I don't know. Well, the next day on Tuesday, I got this newsletter about running and all that, and it said, and th- this was the, t- the, the title, it said, the modern marathon may change. And I was like, what? And I said, and then I was like, you know, th- it, they hooked me with that line. So I'm like, I'm going to read this, of course. And they said, you know, now because of this bombing, the big marathons and these foreign countries and the big major cities may change. They may go to one-mile circuits. You know, they may be on closed tracks where nobody can you know, really get in and see them so they can protect people. That's living in a state of fear, really. That's saying, you know what, because something bad happened, we're going to be overly cautious, and we're going to do something crazy. And as I got thinking about that, I I thought, does that mean they're going to not let as many people in stadiums anymore to watch football games? I mean, that's a big place. Does that mean they're not going to allow people to congregate anymore in, you know, large crowds? Because all those become targets now. That's, if, if we change that, that's living in a state of fear. That's totally changing everything. And we need to go back to God's promise. And we need to say, you know what? If I'm right with God, if I'm living my right life right with God, and it is my time, I'm not going to fear that. I'm going to be fine with that. So picking it back up again. So he's, he's fired up. He's ready to go. Verse 13, it says, So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of, I can't say the name, and gave Hebron to him as a portion of the land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son, and I can't say that name again, Kenzanite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord and the God of Israel. Here's the cool part. So so that nobody here thinks I named my son Caleb after a dog, here's the cool part. Caleb's name changes right here. If you were to look in the Hebrew, Caleb's name takes a change. Caleb goes from meaning dog to meaning faithful right here. From dog to meaning faithful. And it's because of his calling on God's power, calling on God's permission, calling on God's promise that his name all of a sudden goes from being just a bad name, you know, calling him dog, to all saying, say hey, you have followed me, you have been faithful, you have been strong, you have called upon me, you have led well, you've lived your life well. And that's really the call on each of us, is how are we living our lives? Are we living in courage or are we living in fear? Are we calling upon God's faithful promises to us or are we living in fear? Now, I got thinking about this and it really made me think about... um, my own life. So many times, uh, and we see this in our kids. I think that we see it right away. Our kids are full of enthusiasm. They're full of this joy, this courage that no one else could ever imagine. And by that I mean I'm gonna share something personal in my own life. Um, when I was about five years old, I came up with the idea out in my dad's barn that I wanted to make cars out of wood wooden cars I mean I I think back and I think that was kind of stupid I mean they make metal cars why would I want to make a wooden car but I decided and I sat down and I drew them up and I tried building a couple of them and you know my friends thought I was wacky in the head and I kind of was and eventually I gave up that that dream that dream and I said this wasn't good and you know throughout my life I have had these dreams, and I've let other people squash them. I mean, I have this dream. I'm thinking, yeah, I can do this, and then somebody squashes it. And each of our kids, and I bring up our kids. I'm not going to share any of their dreams, but, um, because they're, they're just crazy, like being princesses and stuff like that right now. Um, but each of our kids come up with these dreams, these ideas. And some of them are like, I want to be a Major League Baseball player. I want to be a football player. I want to, you know, be, you know, this. I want to be that. And we think of these dreams and, and you know, we, we want to be nice. I mean, we don't want to get their hopes too high, but yet at the same time, we don't want to squash their dreams. We don't want to make them fearful of going out and trying their dreams. And when I say this, I'm sure each of you inside have thought of a dream that you've had something within your heart that, you know, God has told you, you know, hey, you ought to go and do that. And we've let the world, people around us, dictate that, you know what, you, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. And we've, in essence, let life and the world dictate our outcome, dictate what we're going to do. And the, the reason I love the story of Caleb it, so much is he said, you know what, I'm not going to let the world dictate. I'm going to let God dictate the dreams, the promises that he's bestowed upon me, and I'm going to go and take those. Now, I I, I have to say this because if I don't, uh, someone listening may get totally, may not hear this, but that doesn't mean we do stupid stuff. That doesn't mean we do stupid stuff. I mean, I I heard so many years ago about a group of um, South Korean people on their way to a youth conference, and they were all excited and they got to a river that was flooded, and they're like, yeah, we're going to go. God has called us to go to this youth conference. We can't swim, but we're going to go. You know, we saw, you know, Moses, he led the people through, and they all jumped in the river, and they all drowned. I mean, think about that. That, that just isn't using your brain here. I mean, that's not being wise. I mean, you, you, you're supposed to be fearful of that kind of stuff. But so many times, there are things that we can do can accomplish, we can look at and di- and diagram, and ultimately figure out, and we can go ahead and do. I mean, some of you inside have a dream that, you know what, someday I want to start a business, and this is what I want my business to do. You know, you can start laying those blocks. You can start doing those things to make that happen. You, I mean, that might be on your kitchen table that you start doing that kind of stuff. Some of you have dreams that you know what, I want to do this sport, you know what, go ahead and pursue that dream. You know, work on that dream. That doesn't mean that you throw everything else away. That just means work on it. Whatever your dream is, don't be fearful of it. Take courage in it. Uh, If the worship team would come forward, I think uh, the, the best one, the best person of courage I can really think of, and there's a movie that just came out, was Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson, right? Um, he and here's a little bit of background on him. Jackie Robinson is perhaps the most revered baseball player in history because he was able to break through the color barrier that had existed in the major league for the better part of a century. An all-American running back at UCLA, Jackie was a tremendous package of speed, strength, and agility, and most of all, true grit. He had a very successful career, and even and ever since, players of all color, colors have Paid tribute to the courage that he displayed. By overcoming adversity, Jackie not only opened the door for African Americans, but also players from the Dominican Republic and other countries. Because of what he did there, the courage that he took, he was able to lead the way for so many other people. And my challenge to you would be this What is God calling you to do? How is God asking you to step out? How is God saying, Don't live a life of fear, but live a life of courage? let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and the great stories that you give us of um, courage. Lord, help us to not live our lives in fear, but live our lives in faith in you, in faith in a great and mighty God that can overcome the obstacles that are presented to us. Lord, we know that everything that happened this week was uh, not something that surprised you, but something that you, in, you knew about, you anticipated, and ultimately, Lord, you will bring uh, greater glory from that. I don't know what that will be, but I know that your promise is that you will ultimately work out everything for our good. We, we hold on to that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.